Well, good morning to you all. It's, uh, as usual, a privilege to share God's Word with you. Uh, thank you to Steve for your prayer and to the musicians, the worship group for leading us. Uh, we prayed these words earlier this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I find it very interesting that Spirit of God led uh, Lil uh, to enable us to pray through that uh, prayer, phrase by phrase. She's obviously listening to the Spirit. One of the values here at NCBC is that we are kingdom-inspired. I wonder what you understand by these two words. My theme this morning is, what does it mean to be kingdom people? Now, the subject of the kingdom is quite complex, and in the next three hours, I'm not going to be able... Oh, sorry, the next 25 minutes, I'm not going to be able to cover it in detail. You need a series for that. But I want you to, as it were, treat this message as an appetizer, an aperitif, a, a taster, Maybe some of you would want to go into a deeper study of the kingdom in your contact groups. Now, it seems to me, as followers of Jesus, we tend to talk more about the church than we do about the kingdom. Would that be fair? Probably, yeah. Yet, Jesus, as we read Scripture, spoke more about the kingdom than he did about the church. And yes, of course, he did speak about the church. We uh, recall when he responds to Peter's declaration of faith. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not overcome it. But Jesus' first recorded words in Matthew were actually about the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The kingdom of God was the central message of our Lord's ministry. In Matthew 4.23, we read, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Even after his resurrection, his focus was on the kingdom of God. We read in Acts 1 verse 3, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now I want to attempt to answer two questions this morning. Uh, what is the meaning of the kingdom of God, and how do we live as kingdom people today? First of all, what's the meaning of the kingdom? Uh, I guess we're all familiar with the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. It's a physical kingdom, and we can easily see it on a map or on a globe. We recognize the queen as our sovereign, and we are her subjects. I think the second meaning of the kingdom is the people belonging to a given realm. 
The kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland may also be thought of as the citizens whom the queen exercises her rule, the subjects of her kingdom. But the kingdom of God isn't a physical kingdom, it is a spiritual kingdom. The Greek word basileia means the rule of God, the reign of God. We might ask, where is the kingdom of God? Very simply, wherever God rules, wherever God reigns, wherever God is sovereign. Of course, the kingdom of God is in heaven, where God's will is perfectly done. And as we've already said, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now the kingdom of God isn't the same as the church. Uh, The church, the ecclesia, are a people called out. God is still calling people to himself day by day in this country and across the world. Calling people out to be different, to be distinct, yet not distant from those in our society. And God's will is always accomplished in the kingdom. Dare I say God's will isn't always accomplished in the church. Now the Jews are still waiting for their Messiah, so for them the kingdom is totally future. It is part of the age to come. But as followers of Jesus, we believe that the Messiah has already come in the person of Jesus. So the age to come has arrived. The kingdom of God has come and is in the here and in the now. So the kingdom, in a sense, is now and not yet. Jesus will come again as king. Be assured of that. Not as a servant king, but he will come in power, and in glory. Sermon on the Mount describes what our spiritual lives and our community look like when they come under the gracious rule of God here on earth. This is kingdom life. So the kingdom is the rule of God, the reign of God, the government of God in this age, in the hearts of those who yield and submit themselves to him. Now I want to look at two parables. There are a number of parables of the kingdom. First one I want to look at is the parable of the mustard seed. I've described this as obvious growth. Mark 4 verse 30. Again he, that is Jesus, said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest, becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Now, as with all parables, the parable of the mustard seed is to teach a concept or if you like, a big idea, using elements that are in common use and are easily recognized. A parable has one main point, and it's important not to stretch the meaning of every detail in a parable. This parable is contained in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. 
In this parable, Jesus is predicting the miraculous growth of the kingdom. The mustard seed is quite small. How many of you have planted seeds uh, this spring or in recent weeks? Yeah, we've got a few gardeners. I've planted a few seeds my life. My wife loves the lettuce, so we've planted three rows. Well, I've planted three rows of lettuce, and they're coming up. They're not what they will be, but they are what they are. They're not what they were. They were seeds, little seeds. And the mustard seed, quite small, but it grows apparently into a large shrub up to 10 feet high. Jesus says this is a picture of what kingdom growth is like. The point of the parable of this mustard seed is that something big something blessed, the kingdom of God had very humble beginnings. How significant could the short ministry of Jesus be? I mean, he was just here on earth for three and a half years. He had just a a handful of followers. He had no real means. He had humble beginnings. No rank. He lived in what would have been seen as a bit of a backwater at that time. And the life and death of Jesus didn't catch the whole world's attention any more than a mustard seed lying on the ground. What seemed inconsequential at first grew into a movement of worldwide influence which no one and nothing can stop. Next, I want to look briefly at the parable of the yeast. I describe this as permeating growth. How many of you make your own bread? Good. Do you use a machine or? No? But you, you, you mix yeast and flour? Yep. Well, this is what Jesus says. Again, he asks, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. That's a lot of flour. Jesus' parable of the yeast, or parable of the leaven, is found in two of the Gospels. It's a very simple story, a little snapshot of life. The kingdom is like yeast that a woman takes and mixes into a large amount of flour until it works all its way through the dough. Until the whole of the dough is permeated with yeast. Till the whole of the dough is leavened. But what does it mean? Well, there are several interpretations of of this parable. Uh, The one I've settled on is that Whereas the parable of the mustard seed is about outward growth, the parable of the yeast is about a growth that happens from within and exerts its influence on its surroundings. So the nature of the yeast is to grow and to change whatever it comes into contact with. And when we live under God's gracious rule, When we submit ourselves to his reign in our lives, our lives will be changed and consequently make a difference to other people that we come into contact with and eventually to society. 
So the parable of the yeast, the parable of the mustard seed. I want to get on to the practical aspect of the kingdom. Now, Jesus spoke about the kingdom, as we've already seen. But the Apostle Paul spoke about the kingdom of God a number of times. He spoke about the kingdom of God in the synagogue. He also spoke to the Jewish leaders in Rome about the kingdom of God. Even at the end of his ministry, when he was under house arrest in Rome, we read, Paul stayed there two full years in his own rented house, welcoming all who came to visit him. Boldly and freely, he proclaimed, what? The kingdom of God, and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. With all boldness, and without hindrance. Two other verses I want to look briefly at that Paul wrote. First one in Romans 14, 17. He says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I want to talk briefly about living with peace and joy. Now, the context of this verse is that some of the Christians, some of the believers of a strong faith, were tempted to flaunt their freedom in Christ in front of others. And this, Paul was concerned, could harm those who perhaps had a weaker faith and become a stumbling block to them. And Paul just simply reminds the believers that they didn't come to faith in Christ just to eat meat and to drink wine. Those freedoms from the restrictions of the law were real. They were meaningful. And yet Paul says they are not the point of the kingdom of God. There are other greater blessings and benefits. Righteousness. We receive God's declaration of righteousness when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus. He's all my righteousness. I stand complete in Him and worship Him. It's not my righteousness, it's His righteousness in me that makes me right with God and enables me to live the right way for Him. Peace, one of the flavors of the fruit of the Spirit. When we come under the benevolent rule of God in our lives, we'll experience the peace of God in whatever challenging circumstances we face. Are you under pressure at the moment? You may have peace with God, but do you know the peace of God that passes all all human understanding? This is kingdom life, knowing that as we submit to the king, we will see peace and experience peace. Joy, another flavor of the, Holy, of the fruit of the Spirit. Often circumstances would tend to squeeze the joy out of our lives. It was G.K. Chesterton, I think, who said, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Joy. Rejoice. And again, 
I say rejoice. We don't rejoice at the circumstances we find ourselves in. What we do rejoice in is the fact that God is king, that he is sovereign, that he understands fully what we're going through at the time. Even in the midst of difficult, demanding circumstances, we can still know the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord, which can become our strength. The second verse is 1 Corinthians 4, verse 20. Living with power. The apostle says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The context here is very simply that Paul has been dealing with some Christians who are puffed up with their own spiritual prowess. They are Christians who are talking the talk, but they are, not, they are not expressing the life of Christ in their walk. And in their arrogance, they're promoting a, a false understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And obviously, Paul, as the founder of the Corinthian church, is deeply concerned. And Paul's point here is that when God is truly present in our lives, then we will experience God's power. Do you know, I think sometimes as Christians, we're very good about talking about Christianity. Talking, perhaps to other Christians, about Christianity. I have a sense these days that many unbelievers are just fed up with words that sometimes drip from our lips. They want to see a demonstration of God's power. And I'm not necessarily talking about a deliverance or healing or other uh, miraculous signs. They want to see a demonstration of God's power. How do we react when the pressure is on us? How do we handle a setback? How do we handle the fact that we didn't get that promotion at work? How do we manage uh, and react to and respond to an illness? or even a bereavement. Now, it's important not to dismiss God's power in deliverance and healing. I was struck, uh, as I studied this subject, how uh, miraculous events coincided with Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. I believe we need to be more expectant in looking for God's power. But God's power can be demonstrated in many different ways so Jesus says I want you to make the kingdom a priority Matthew 6.33 seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well the context of these things are the basic needs that he's been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount the basic needs of life of food, of clothing. And Jesus said, I don't want you to worry about these things, but to trust God. He says, in other words, I want you to make seeking my kingdom a priority in your lives. It must take precedence over the pursuit of anything else. If the kingdom of God isn't first, it doesn't matter what's second. So life in the kingdom is about righteousness. It's about peace. It's about joy. 
Life in the kingdom is about bringing all aspects of our lives under the benevolent dictatorship of God, the gracious rule of our King. Our work, our service for God, our finances, and then we'll be truly blessed. I finish with a quote from R.C. Sproul. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be manifest in this world before Christ comes is if we manifest it by the way we live as citizens of heaven and subjects of the king. May each of us make it our aim to experience the Lord's reign in every aspect of our lives. Amen. That was a short three hours. It was a great three hours. It went very quickly, thank you. So I said at the beginning that we're going to be um, sharing communion together now, and I think most of you will have got one of these things, which has got the... um, the elements, I think they call them, in there. So what we're doing is we're remembering what Jesus taught us to do. Just like he taught us the Lord's Prayer. He taught us about his kingdom coming. He taught us um, about taking communion and remembering him. And you may be thinking, well, Easter was just a couple of weeks ago. Why have we got to say We remembered what happened on the cross just a couple of weeks ago. But we remember it all the time. And it's good to remember all the time. And Jesus said, don't forget to remember this. So we're going to remember it again, what he did for us on that cross um, this morning. If you don't yet know Jesus, you're not a follower of him, then please don't be embarrassed if you don't want to do this. It's fine. Um, But everyone who does know Jesus and does love him is very, very welcome to take part of this special little meal together as we remember and do as Jesus taught us to do. If you're not sure about it, as I say, please don't be embarrassed. There'll be people at the end of the service who would love to chat with you or to pray with you, whether it be about communion, about your faith journey, or about anything else. If you want to see the kingdom of God come more into your lives, or you want to experience the power, or the peace, or the joy, there will be people here who will pray with you. Um, So we're doing this not because we are good, and not because we are worthy, We're doing this because he, Jesus, is good. He is, in fact, the definition of goodness and love. So we're going to say a prayer together. It's going to come up on the screen, just reminding us what we're doing. And I'll just wait for it to come up, and we'll pray this together. Um, Some of you will know these words. Some of you, they may not be familiar to you. So let's pray together. We do not presume to come to this, your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose nature is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body and our souls washed through his most precious blood.
that we may evermore dwell in him and he in us. And I'll continue and pray. Almighty God, our heavenly Father, who in your tender mercy gave your only Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, to suffer death upon the cross for our redemption, a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. He instituted, and in his holy gospels, he commanded us to continue a perpetual memory of his precious death until he comes again. Hear us, merciful Father, we humbly pray and grant that we, receiving these gifts of your creation, the bread and the wine, according to your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ's holy institution, in remembrance of his death and passion, that we may be partakers of his most blessed blood and body. Who in the same night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave you thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for the many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So let's drink and eat together. And so I'm going to suggest you do this in your own time. Maybe close your eyes and listen to the music as you're thinking about it, but give thanks for what Jesus has done for us. Maybe you'll want to look at the cross and remember that way. Maybe you'll want to look at these beautiful flowers which someone has spectacularly created that for us. Um, And you want to give thanks for that, for his creation. But whatever, give thanks to him and remember what he has done. Amen.
Father God, we thank you once again for sending your son. And we thank you for what Jesus has done for us, each one of us. Thank you that he is the definition of goodness and love. And we worship him this morning. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able. And we're going to sing our closing song together. Hear the call of the kingdom.